where you are actually. Where are you on the planet? <laughs> <laughs> um, I live on Maui uh, in Hawaii. So I've lived in Hawaii since I was about 11. My family moved out here. Um, we moved to Kauai, which is a smaller island. And now I'm on Maui, which is a long story of how I got around to Maui. But I've been here for about eight, nine, nine years now. Yeah, eight years, eight years. Yeah, in October, I think. And so, what do you like? What do you what do you spend your days doing? Like, what's your <laughs> what's your what's your thing? Um, well, I have a lot of things. My main thing is glass blowing. So um, I have a, I have my own business that I started when I was a teenager, which is um, hand sculpting glass beads in a torch. So you start with rods of solid glass and melt them in a torch. And it's all about like shaping and layering and heat and gravity and all of that. So it's like glass blowing only on like a very tiny scale. It's super detail oriented. Um, so I do a lot of glass pieces that I make, like sculptural pieces, um, a lot of fantasy inspired pieces, and then I incorporate them into jewelry and I sell, I sell that wholesale to local shops and mostly glass galleries actually. Um, and then I sell online. And then I also do glass blowing out of two different studios here, which is like larger, like actual glass blowing with like the long metal pipes and you're dipping it into a bowl of molten glass and then you're actually blowing it and shaping it. Um, so I do that as well. So I do rent studio time at two different studios and I make that type of work. And then I sell that out of the glass galleries as well. Um, so that's like my main thing that I do at least on the income side of things. And I started that really young and probably because I was unschooled. I think I started, I made my first glass bead when I was 14 and then um, we moved to Colorado and then we moved back to Hawaii. And it was uh, my friend's mom who was into glass bead making. So I'd go hang out with them. I'd stay for days at a time, sometimes at their house. They lived up in the mountains on Kauai. And I just like became obsessed. So when I was 16, um, my mom was like, okay, this is for real. Like, this isn't just like a little passing fancy. Cause I was always into crafty stuff, like anything, making little things with my hands, making pretty things. I was always into all the crafting stuff. And um, so when she could see that this wasn't just like a phase and she was like, oh, this is a legit passion you've got going on here. Like it's not going away. She um, took what little money she had because she was a single mom at the time to myself, my younger brother, my older brothers had moved out. And, um, and she bought me my own equipment and it was a really big deal. It was a lot of money, you know, for us at the time. Um, but that's what, that's who my mom is. And uh, so I set up my own studio with my friend and we were selling our jewelry, our little handmade jewelry at craft fairs and farmer's markets. And I would just spend hours, her and I both, she was homeschooled and we would just spend like hours and hours just obsessing and just sitting there on our torch and we'd be, we'd be chatting or listening to music. But like, I would, even when she wasn't around, I would spend whole days just completely absorbed in my craft. And um, so by the time I was like in my twenties, I was like an experienced glass bead maker. And I was the youngest one I knew. And my friend, it wasn't really her thing forever. She phased out and went into other art forms. But for me, it stuck. It's like my, my true love. And um, 
yeah, I think if I'd been in high school, I don't know if I'd have discovered it in the first place. And if I had, I don't think I would have had, I definitely wouldn't have had the time um, or the energy to put into something like that. You know, when I get out of school, I'd want to just like chill out and zone out and hang out with my friends, like all my other teenage friends that I knew at the time. But um, I could still do that. Like I, they would get out of school and I'd go hang out with my friends, but I'd have already had four hours um, put in on the torch, just developing my craft and learning my art form and developing myself as an artist and finding my style. I'm pretty much self-taught because I, I didn't really have any formal instruction in, in the torch. So I kind of figured it all out myself. And we didn't really have so much in the way of like YouTube videos then either. Like now you can go on YouTube and you can like look up glass bead making and you can take like a million different tutorials and classes like free online. But we didn't have that. That's how it started. And I tried some other things along the way because I was like, I don't want to just make jewelry forever. Like I had some idea that I wanted to be some great something and be really impressive to the world and kind of prove myself as like an unschooler, which had to do with um, pressure from my dad's family it was very like, and my dad himself too, like my parents were not in alignment. They split when I was really little and my dad was really like, you need an education and you need to go to college, you need a career, you need a degree, like you need a plan B. Like he just saw my glasses being like a hobby that was cute, but not a career choice. Um, so there was a lot of pressure from my dad and my dad's family to like become something like legitimate in their eyes. And um, I let that influence me to some degree, but luckily I always had my mom at my back going like, just follow your heart, honey. So, you know, I'd get swayed from time to time and I'd think I needed to do something else, but I always ended up coming back to glass. So when I was in my twenties, I took it on really as a full, like, this is my thing. This is what I do. I just, I don't like anything else enough to stick with it. That was the only thing that I really like devoted myself to and like stuck with. Um, and I still am. And it, it grew, it took a long time and it was really, really hard. And there was a lot of really rough patches for sure. Um, but I stuck with it and it, it's paid off. I mean, it paid off even when it was hard, just because I loved it so much. Like I, I realized that it's something that I would pay someone to let me do. Um, so the fact that people pay me to do it is like amazing. And it's been incredible. I have a really sweet life here now in Maui and it's totally supported by my glass art completely. I find that really interesting because my I've I've got four children um, and my one of my daughters, my nine year old daughters 
has always um, had strong tendencies towards craft and art. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just the other day I was, I was doing something, I think I was on like a call to my mom or something. And, and my daughter came in the room and took some paper and I, and I just said to my mom, oh, she's off drawing again. Um, you know, she's just coming to get some paper. She's probably just going to go and do some drawing. And actually she wasn't doing drawing. She was doing a YouTube tutorial and she was doing paper craft and cutting out different shapes and then sellotaping them together. Anyway, anyway, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know what it was, but I just know that like her whole life is consumed with like, there's, there's paper everywhere and there's pens everywhere and there's paint and there's glue and there's scissors and there's chopped up bits of there's oh, no. just stuff everywhere um you know half and, and st- some of it's like you know half done projects yeah. and and, yeah. and things that she'll come back to and 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 things that she's finished and and things that she's like um she's she, like cardboard boxes are her thing at the moment and she just <laughs> st- like stealths them away you know yeah. we can't get a cardboard box in the house and without her like saying oh it's mine I'm gonna I've got a plan I'm gonna do something um yeah, yeah so yeah. it's it's well, yeah, that fascinates like, me. People don't, and people don't um, value that. Like that, to, that's like so many adults look at those kind of activities and see them as being um, like, what do you call it? Just not, not productive, mm-hmm. not productive, not useful. It's not contributing to the child's like long-term, you know, or their future or whatever. Like we look at child's play as being, um like frivolous in a way like extra like on the side like unnecessary uh instead of it being like the work like that is their job that they're working on something like your daughter is working on really important things like to her that is that's her whole world right now and she's developing like a million skills in one like I can look back and remember like I can now like someone will compliment me on a particular skill or something and and I can look back and I can see like how that got developed and nurtured along the way um, and valued and allowed because I wasn't taken away from my, my little projects, you know, my little arts and crafts that didn't mean anything to anyone. Um, but I wasn't taken away from that. I wasn't distracted. My mom saw that as valuable. And it's like with your daughter, it's like she's allowed to explore this thing that is very important to her. And she's developing so many tools and skills that are most adults wouldn't notice or see like things that you can't even describe that have to do with the way that she's seeing shapes and colors and the ingenuity. Like she grabs a box and she's seeing what it's, what it could be. She's got some possibility that's popped up in her mind, which is like, it's more than just creativity. Like no ingenuity, like she's figuring out who knows? She's exploring mathematics and physics and aerodynamics and like a million other things that people just don't realize because adults have these categories in their minds. Like they've been trained to see learning and in subjects. So they don't see when there's like 10 different subjects all where they're so used to distilling things and processing them down to a particular subject and calling it by this one particular name you know like what are you talking about all these separate things like they don't see the things separately they see it as one whole thing and when we allow them to continue that it's like we don't have to it does it's not necessary 
to distill things down and separate them into these categories. And adults like want to be able to do that so they can measure and label it, but that's not necessary for learning to happen. Learning will happen without that. And adults are really doing that only for their own, to, to placate their own fears. It has nothing to do with the actual development of the child because it's proven over and over and over again that that's totally unnecessary to distill things into these separate categories. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that if that's what's happening, if that's coming from the child and they want to explore a very particular category, there's nothing wrong with that. But especially when they're young and they get interested in, you know, they're doing arts and crafts or, or whatever it is that they're into. Um, we don't have to do that to the thing that they're interested in is what I'm trying to say. Like it doesn't need to be distilled. It doesn't need to be analyzed and separated out so that you can judge its learning um, value. Like, I think that's the thing about a lot of adults that just irritates me beyond is like, just, just stop it. Like stop analyzing what your child is doing and what they're learning from it. It's not necessary. And it takes a lot of the magic away. Just mm -hmm. trust that it's happening, you know? And people so often are like, oh, oh, my child is doing this. Oh, they're learning this and they're learning this and they're learning this out of this thing. And I'm like, actually, you don't know what they're learning out of that thing and why. Why are you trying to analyze it? It's just to placate your own fear. It has no actual benefit other than to make you feel better about what's going on. And if you need to do that for yourself, that's okay. But don't put it on your kid. Like, let them be free and all have everything mushed up and mixed up. It's totally fine. It doesn't only like take away the magic of life for them. It takes it away for you. You're no longer actually experiencing what's going on. You're no longer being connected to your child or being in that moment with them, witnessing and experiencing what's actually happening. You're like stuck in your own analytical mind games of what you think they should be learning and trying to fix fit what they're doing into your preconceived ideas of what should be happening. Um, and then you miss it. You miss everything. You miss all the magic that's happening right now. It's an interesting point as well that we like, you can look at your child and, and, you know, like you say, like adults in particular do start to pick apart like, what are they, what are they learning from this? What are they doing? But, but we can never actually truly know. No, that, like there's no way of us actually, you know, I could say, well, my child might be learning their colors or they might be learning yeah. to hold a paintbrush or they, they might be, you know, learning to paint a flower or how to use scissors, but you can't actually ever, ever truly know what they're learning. No. And the problem with trying to figure that out, I mean, it's fine to do it out of fascination. Like sometimes it's just fascinating. Like, wow, I wonder what they're getting out of this and to like kind of observe and contemplate. But when you're doing it out of a need to control or like not control necessarily, but just to um, keep track, like when you're doing it out of a need to keep track, then you're, I feel like you're missing out on the moment. Um, but also it's like, it's, there's so often this disconnect between what you think they're learning and what they're actually learning because adults are very school-minded adults are so very often occupied with the academic side of things and what their children are learning academically that they um, tend to step over or not notice what their child is learning psychologically and emotionally. And that comes, oftentimes I feel like it affects 
the way in which adults try to teach. Um, like even when, so like, for example, I remember talking to this one mom one time and, and she was, it was about like the whole teachable moments thing, which, oh God, if you get me started. But um, she was talking about um, her daughter came to her and asked her what time it was, you know, what time is it? And she turned it into a teachable moment. And she was like, do you see the clock? And here's this hand and here's this hand. And if this hand is here, then, what, you know, she turned it into an opportunity to instruct her daughter in something that her daughter did not show any interest in, did not ask to be instructed. And to me, that's extremely disrespectful and invasive. If I ask you a question and you like, oh my God, if my boyfriend did that to me, I don't have a boyfriend right now, but you ask him to do something for you or you ask him a question and he turns it into this whole other, like we call it mansplaining, but adults do it to children all the time, adult-splaining. It's so awful and it feels awful. And so what happens is like, you might think you're teaching your child how to tell time. That's what you think you're doing. But to your child, that's not what they're learning. Or maybe they're learning that a little bit, but what they're actually learning is, my questions don't matter. What I want to know doesn't matter to my mom. The only thing that matters is what I know, is the knowledge that she wants to give me. I don't matter. You know, what I want doesn't matter. The reason I want to know what time it is doesn't matter. You know, so oftentimes the child will come up with, they'll, they'll, they'll decide something about themselves, about the world, about you. that has nothing to do with what you're trying to teach them. It's like, I don't matter. And you don't realize that you're teaching your child to believe that they don't matter. You think you're teaching them how to tell time. So it, it's like, I feel like there's a huge disconnect between what we're trying to teach, what we think is being taught, what we think is being learned and what's actually going on on an emotional and psychological level. And that's like where my, that's where I get super fascinated. And I look into that, like when you say, don't interrupt, you're not teaching them not interrupt. You're teaching them that what they have to say is not important, that what they have to say doesn't matter to you, that what they have to say is just not as interesting as what this other random stranger you're talking to has to say, you know, um, you're teaching them all kinds of emotional and psychological things that you don't even realize, you know, time out. What are we teaching them in a timeout? That you're all alone, that when you have big feelings and big problems, yeah. you should go isolate yourself. You shouldn't talk to anyone about it. You shouldn't get love and affection. You need to be alone with your problems. You need to think about how awful of a person you are. Um, it's not what we think we're teaching them. Yeah, we had an incident in the park the other week. So over, at the moment here, it's the summer holidays. So when we go to the park, there's a lot of families there who are normally in school. Um, and it was really it was really upsetting. My daughter got really upset because there was this this little boy. Well, little. Um, I mean, he must have been maybe seven or eight on the swing and he was calling his mum come and push me on the swing come and push me on the swing and she said no I'm talking to my friend I'm not going to come and push you on the swing now and it just escalated like he just got really more and more upset and more sort of um 
you know, just re requesting, mum, please push me, please push me on the swing. And he was getting more and more agitated. And the more agitated he got, the more she kept saying, well, I'm definitely not coming now because that's not how you ask me nicely. And I'll, I'll come over when you've calmed down. And, and it just escalated even more. Yeah. And my daughter got really upset and she was, she was yeah. saying, why won't she come and push him on the swing? He's really upset. He wants his mum. And she, yeah. um, so not the same, not my nine-year-old, this was my six-year-old. You know, and she just couldn't make head nor tail of it. And it was really upsetting to watch. And and I think because um, because most of the time we um, have, you know, our lovely little community of people that we hang out with, um, that's not a regular occurrence for her to witness no. those things. You know, and she just couldn't, she couldn't understand it at all. And, and it was almost like she was, like, have, having, like, empathy for him. She was getting really upset that yeah, he yeah. was upset. You know, sure. it was a really, it was a, a really, you know, so talking about emotional things, it was a really big emotional um, thing for her to even just witness. Yeah, and that, you know, that kind of thing, like those situations, I see those situations happen. And to me, I'm looking at a, an established dynamic. It's not like this one moment where this mom responded in this way. It's like, oh, there's an established dynamic there where the child is also behaving kind of strangely due to they're already being set up this weird mind game between the parent and child. So, you know, there's a whole lot of different ways to handle that situation. And it's all about the motivation and where you're coming from and the connection that you have, the relationship that you already have established with your child and how they're going to respond to that reaction. So, you know, had they had a different relationship established, it might have been totally fine. Like, oh, I'll be there in a minute, honey. Can I just finish my conversation real quick? I, I do want to come push you. And then it could have been a totally different reaction from him. It could have been like, oh, it's okay, mommy. I'm going to go on the slide instead. Like, you just never know. It has to do with the established relationship that's going on. And, and if you're being genuine, because the kids can tell. If you're just saying, don't do that to teach them something. Oh, they're going to show you. And so it's, it's so different when it's like an authentic no from a genuine place of like, I really don't want to do this with you right now. And I'm really sorry. They can sense when it's genuine, when it's authentic or when you're just trying to train them. My children don't respond well to training. Nope. <laughs> no, they, no, they don't. Um, I wonder, um, so what? I mean, it might be worth mentioning that, I mean, I know you've sort of mentioned it, but that you as um, a, a child were unschooled. So you are, you know, you and your siblings were, I assume your siblings were as well. Is that, yeah. that be right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so with this, in, with this in mind and all this chat about relationships and, you know, what are your adult relationships like in your family, like with your, your siblings and, and your mum? Yeah, so, so, um, it, we've got a, a kind of complicated family in the sense that like, um, my two older brothers and I are from the same two parents and then my parents divorced, they both remarried and they each had another child. So I have two younger half siblings. Um, but I grew up with my mom and my three brothers and my little sister is my stepmoms. So it was a very, very different. She's a little bit more like a cousin. So I always just think I have three brothers and consider myself having three brothers and being from a family of four. Um, I love my little sister, but it is, we never lived together. We weren't raised together. We had different moms. It's a totally different experience. Um, 
my two older brothers, they, I was one and a half when my parents split up. And by the time I came along, you know, I was the third one. And so my mom was a lot more secure in her philosophy. Um, and she kind of just stopped uh, interacting with my dad's family, which was extraordinarily critical and really awful in so many ways. Um, so I had a very different experience than my two older brothers because they had more interaction with my dad's family, a lot more pressure, a lot more trauma, actually, a lot more trauma um, in that area. And also because my mom was very, very young. She had my brother when she was 20 and she didn't know what she was doing. Like she didn't have a plan. She wasn't like, we're going to unschool. That like totally came like little by little over the years. So I, my older brothers had a very different experience and they're quite a bit older than me. Um, so my oldest brother, Garrett and I, um, we're good. We're close. My second brother, Clay and I, we're not, we're not very close. And he's really kind of gone off into more of a corporate, um, kind of world. And he's very successful and he has a, you know, he went and got a degree and he did all these things and he's, um, but we have a very different mentality, very different lifestyle, very different belief system. So my mom and my younger brother and I were the ones that are like, you know, um, my younger brother and I were always total buddies and the three of us actually all live on Maui. So we're the ones that are really tight and close. And uh, my brother lives up the road. My mom lives on this property on the lower half of the property here with me. We both rent on the same property. Um, so yeah, family relationships, you know, there was a lot of other factors, you know, there were step parents and lots of other extended family and influences and things like that, that affected all of us in different ways. Um, but I feel like I got it really good because being the third one, um, my mom was just a lot more confident, a lot more secure. She was a lot more relaxed. She wasn't um, as fearful, you know. She had much more, much more confidence. Yeah, just confidence. And, and I think uh, I can relate to your mom there. <laughs> yeah. In that, you know, you know, like I said, we've got four children and and with the with our first one we've always unschooled and that's mm -hmm. always been our uh, maybe our goal maybe um mm -hmm. you know but in the beginning i was probably less confident you know with my first you know less sure about what we were doing it felt um it, it felt almost experimental but we were we were sure about what we wanted to do but maybe how that actually work, was going to work out on a day-to-day -day basis um, was was less certain, you know. And then and then we had the second one. My my two eldest are actually quite um, close together in age. There's only twenty months between them. Um, and then you know, but then like by the time we got to the third one, we were like we were in our stride. We were we you yeah. know that confidence. We were yeah. we could we had started to see. Yes, yeah. this is this is what we want this is you know this is um i don't like using the term working but um you know you know we're craft we're crafting this life that we wanted you know we you know um, and we the, edge, the edge had gone like yeah the edge had dissipated and yeah and then we had the fourth and that's like yeah <laughs> it feels like plain sailing it feels like yeah yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah we're, 
well, yeah, plain sailing now. So I can really, um, yeah, I can relate a little bit there to your, yeah. to your, to, to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. There was just like, my, my older brothers had a lot, there was a lot more pressure and focus on them. Um, my oldest brother was the first grandchild on both sides of the family. Um, and my dad's family is a very, how do I even say this? Extremely critical, um, judgmental and righteous. And so my mom choosing to do anything differently than like the family way was like a big deal, was a really big deal. And it was very um, judged. I mean, to the point where like my grandma called CPS on us and CPS showed up at our door because she was complaining that we were neglected due to not being sent to school. Um, my dad and my stepmom took us to court to try and force us to go to public school. And that didn't work, <laughs> luckily. But, you know, to those extremes, to the point where they're taking legal action to, and actually, you know, my mom was afraid she would lose us at times. And so there was a lot of fear and pressure and um, my older brothers got the brunt of it. They were older, they remember. I was, I was so little, I have barely any memories of those times. You know, I was like three when we had to go to court. Like I don't, you know, but to them it was like, they were seven and nine and that was like, hugely impactful and so they had a lot of fear instilled in them from my dad's family from my grandparents like they were always my grandparents mm -hmm. were always like hounding us and testing us and always expressing so much fear and anxiety over whether or not we would be okay and that gets to you as a kid you know that totally gets to you especially when you're alone with them all weekend and you don't have your mom there being like that's bullshit don't listen to them you're fine um that fear from your own family members, from your own grandparents to be terrified for you, it has an effect on you. It had an effect on me, but it was like so much less than what my brothers got. So I think that that is, and that's something that I talk to moms about often is like how to deal with um, family members and grandparents and things that are that critical and harsh and, and that fearful and concerned. Um, and I remember, I remember my mom telling me that my grandma, that it was just fear and that she really loved me and she cared about me. And so she was afraid for me and that she didn't understand and that it's not her fault that she doesn't understand. And she comes from a very different time and a very different way of thinking. And this is what was normal to her. And it's very scary and that different is very scary. And she just doesn't understand. And it's not her fault. And it kind of gave me this sense of like, not everyone's going to understand you and that's okay. And it's okay for them to be freaked out and fearful about that. That doesn't mean that what you're doing is wrong. So somehow she was able to communicate that to me um, when I was really young and it helped. It really helped me have an understanding and not take their judgment and fear on myself so personally. Um, but I think my brothers just had so much more saturation in that, that it was much harder for them to get through. And, um, they had a much stronger sense of wanting to prove themselves and also maybe a bit more worried about themselves in the world, like if they were going to be okay. And I remember having some of those fears and doubts as well. Like my grandma's voice in my head, you know, like, how are you ever gonna, you know, Oh, you're never going to be able to do this and this and this if you don't go to school. And how are you ever going to learn this? And how are you ever going to, to the point where I started to have those questions myself, 
Um, but then as I got older, I started to see how ridiculous, <laughs> how ridiculous that was. And, you know, I, I remember being self-conscious about like my handwriting. And then um, I remember like I was babysitting somewhere and I saw someone's mom had sent a birthday card and it was like on the fridge. And I remember seeing her handwriting and also the way that the sentence was like put together and just being like, what? Like this person went to school, you know? And then I started to see it everywhere. And I started to notice like how awful most people's handwriting is and how like the poor grammar and the poor spelling that I would notice and just be like, wow, these people went to school. Like, I guess I'm fine. <laughs> and you start to realize that so many kids are forced before they're ready, you know, and their handwriting is permanently damaged for life because they're doing it before they're actually ready physically or mentally. Um, and so I was allowed to do that when I was interested, when it was comfortable for me. And I don't have perfect handwriting by any means, but it's totally legible. <laughs> At least it's totally legible. Um, and then the writing and everything, I mean, spelling's never been my strong suit because spelling just doesn't make sense at all. It's about memorization. It's not about there being any kind of like, um, like practical or reasonable formula. There's no rhyme or reason. Um, so that one was a bit challenging for me. But writing, when, you, when you're allowed to read for six or eight hours a day through your teen years, um, writing tends to come quite naturally. <laughs> Once you have that much absorption of literature, um, you know, and I was reading things like I read almost every Shakespeare play because I loved Shakespeare and I just wanted to, and I did, like when I was like 13 or 14 or something like that. Um, so those kinds of things I think are interesting when people are concerned over, um, and then the concern gets put on the child and the child gets concerned for themselves and they become self-conscious and then it does affect their ability. Um, their abilities to execute these kinds of tasks because of the self-consciousness, which was instilled by the fear from the, the fearful people in their life. So um, whenever people talk about that, for one thing, explain to your children that people are afraid due to their own insecurities. It has nothing to do with them. It's not true. And it's just because they don't understand and different is scary. And then also, I wouldn't hesitate to remove a toxic influence from a child's life. Um, I would not hesitate. And no, I wouldn't let my kids hang out with that grandma that I had, never. And my mom wouldn't have if she'd had a choice, you know, but my dad had joint custody and that's what we did when we were with my dad. So also the other part about that is that it's not entirely a bad thing either for me. Like I can say it was a negative influence or whatever, but at this point in my life, I'm grateful for all the hardships because I think like it's, it's broadened my understanding and given me the ability to communicate and talk about these kinds of things and share these experiences. So I can't say that even these kind of like anything in life, you can't really regret anything that happened because it's gotten you where you are now. Um, and every experience contributes to your understanding of yourself and the world and everything. So help your child learn to understand that it's not about them, that it's about that person's fear and insecurities and your child doesn't have to make it about them. And it doesn't have to be dramatic or a big deal. You can just be like, ah, that's just grandma, whatever. She's just scared. Don't worry about it. You know? Um, so there's lots of different ways to handle it and there's no right or, or wrong way. And your children may experience self-doubt like I did and they may experience 
that fear of wondering if they're going to be okay, but who doesn't? School doesn't give you that confidence either. In fact, oftentimes it's quite the opposite in school. I mean, I talked to so many people who just thought like high school just destroyed them, just destroyed their confidence and their feeling like they were ever going to be okay in the world. You know, on a, even on a more emotional and psychological level, I had some of that fear just due to like, will I be um, adequate academically? But that's minor compared to the fear that a lot of people experience coming out of the school system where they're just like, I'm not okay as a human, you know, due to the, the social constructs in school and due to the hierarchy and the whole authoritarianism and all of that. They're just like they're broken spirits coming out of school versus like a little bit of concern about whether or not they're going to be able to do math properly. Like that's not a big deal. To me, that's not a big deal. Um, that's easily fixed also. Like any of the academic stuff, even if your child, by the time they are a teen or in their 20s, even if they are lacking in certain academic departments, easily remedied. Absolutely. If I didn't know something, I learned it. No problem. It's never too late. So what if you don't learn, you know, the whatever age appropriate academic activities at that age, you can do it later. Like there's no missed window of time to learn math. There's no like, oh, you didn't learn to spell when you were nine. You didn't learn to read when you were five. You'll never be able to learn to read. It's not the case. You can learn to read at any point in your life at absolutely any point. So if your child at some point discovers, oh, I don't know how to do this thing and I need to know how to do this thing because this is what's going on now, it's required in my life, they'll learn that thing. That's not a problem. But the emotional and psychological traumas, that's a different story. When you're little and you feel like you don't matter and you have to learn what other people want you to learn because you can't be trusted to know what you want and what's right for yourself in your life, that sticks with you. That is not easily remedied. Those beliefs of like, I'm not good enough. I can't trust my own instincts. I can't trust my impulses. I don't even, like those beliefs stay in you and they're very, very hard to unlearn later in life. You can learn to read and write, do math, do whatever. You can learn that at any point. You are never too old, it's never too late. But when it comes to those personal, those psychological and emotional beliefs about like who I am, and what I'm doing here on the planet, feel about the world around you and how you feel other people see you and what you feel you're capable of. Like those beliefs get learned very, very young, whether you want them to or not. And then they're extremely difficult to root out and, and rearrange later in life. I mean, it, why do you think we have so many people on like psych, psychological, you know, we've got people in therapy, um, we've got the massive, massive mental health crisis um, all over the planet. I don't think it's going to matter that much if you know how to read, if you're so depressed, you can't get out of bed. So I say, let's take care of our children's mental health and the academic learning will take care of itself. Um, because that was the case in my life. You know, I think we see that, like you say, all, all over. And it's one of the, the reasons I think people find, you know, what we call like the de-schooling process really hard because it is yeah. so ingrained. And, and just when you think you've sorted like one layer out, like there's some, something else comes along and, and you, like, what, well, what about this? And, and then you start applying it to yourself and realizing that you, all these things that you're trying to um, 
help your your children with you know so you know not helping them but supporting them when they're choosing their own passions and you start picking that apart and thinking well hang on I I never get to do what I want because and you suddenly realize because you've been you've been told what to do your entire life and then and then you don't even know what you want then you have to start you have to start really digging deep into what what do I want how do I even find out what I want um and that whole and like you say the number you know the mental health has um in the last few years that's really um come to the forefront um you know the mental health crisis um in our societies as well and like you say like you can't like school doesn't make any guarantees academically either like like you the example you gave about writing you know there there aren't any um guarantees academically in school and and so even when we're questioning those things for our children like what if they you know what if they don't have legible handwriting what if they can't do maths what if you know they don't um take to reading um or, or don't get the exam results they need but actually school doesn't even guarantee those those things no. either and if we're no, prioritizing mental health and and things like that like you say they can always go on and do their biology exam when they're in their 20s if, if that's what they want to do it doesn't have to be in that that time frame if they're not ready right no I mean we have this idea adults have this idea of how learning happens and um when learning happens how learning happens and we have this idea that it's this very like set course and you know this needs to happen before this needs to happen and then you learn this and then you learn this and it's this very like step by step it's a very linear linear process. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's just not the case. Like children, when they're learning, when they're allowed to learn naturally, it's a lot more like a tree, <laughs> you know, it's like, Ooh, put a leaf here. Oh wait, no, a branch. Oh wait, no, a root, you know, and it goes like in all these different directions. Um, and, and sometimes it's little bits of growth in all directions at once. And sometimes it's these massive shoots of growth in one direction or a little bit here and then a little bit there. And then it's just like anything's possible and every child's gonna be a little bit different. Some of us will absorb ourselves into one thing for a great amount of time with absolute determination. And then some of us will just do little bits here and here and there and this and the other. And if you have this preconceived notion of like learning has to happen like this and like this, and like this, and like this, you can break a child's natural learning mechanisms you can disrupt that and then it gets thrown off and then they're unable actually to learn um, very well anymore because their natural learning mechanisms have been damaged in a sense um, because we have this idea that this is how it's supposed to go. And the other thing about that is it's the when, it's the when, it's the learning certain things at certain ages. And we have so much evidence and actual human beings that have proven this wrong for over and over and over and over and over and over again that learning doesn't have an age requirement that there is no point at which it's like everyone has to learn this at this certain age otherwise and that's just not the case or you have to stop learning when you're 18 like you're done or like or you can do a degree but then you can stop you're done yeah (laughs) you know and that school is the only way to learn yeah being taught is the only way to learn we have this idea that you have to be taught how to learn um 
that learning is like this and it means this and you have to have a teacher and you have to have resources and you have to have all these things. But if you were to like scratch away, like just tear away, like everything you thought about learning and children, and if you could just be in the mystery of it and the fascination of it, like it's incredible and beautiful what you'll discover, you know, things that you never even dreamed existed or were possible in how learning happens and how children develop. Um, and it won't end anywhere. You're never going to figure it out. You're never going to be able to figure it out and be like, oh, this is how it works. And that's mm -hmm. the problem is that we're all like so many adults and teachers and people in the educational field um, are constantly trying to quantify, you know, mm -hmm. and determine this like end all solution. And that, that's just never going to be the case. It's never going to be the case. One of the things I found um, really fascinating. So I don't I mean, um, people that are listening to the podcast will know, but I'm, I'm actually an ex teacher. Um, no. So but one of the things that I found really fascinating was that um, as a teacher, it was about that. You know, we used to chart children's learning by giving them a, like a test every term and then you drew it on a little chart and everyone expected their learning to, to grow like at this steady rate which it never did um, and they all expected all the children to grow at the, like learn things at the same the same thing at the same rate and um, it never occurred to people when they were analyzing the this data um, that the problem might be what we were expecting of them expecting of the children and and it never like it occurred to me that we were dealing with human beings we weren't dealing with machines like you can't just like change the like dials on the machine and make and change the output you know we were actually dealing with human beings and sometimes there'd be there'd be children in in your class that had like extreme family circumstances going on which of course is or in my opinion, of course, is going to affect other yes. areas of their life. They're not going to be concentrating in class. They're not going to be engaged in what you want them to be engaged in. They're just, they've got other stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, they might be in an extreme emotional state. And or they might just darn well hate what, like, <laughs> like have zero interest in what you're trying yeah. to do. Because yeah, you're my... dealing with human beings and there was no leeway for that whatsoever. <laughs> it's funny to me that we would think that they would operate that we could have them learn like you were just saying on this very linear and all at the same pace at the same age when they don't even develop physically at the same pace at the same age i mean you're going to have kids taller and shorter and kids going through growth spurts and you know um it, you you look at a six-month-old baby and some of them are bald and some of them have hair and some of them it's like of course, they're going to develop differently on the inside as well as on the outside because our brains are physical. You know, they are, a, it's a muscle, it's physical. And so there's going to be a million other factors going on. There's going to be your, you know, your heritage and your genetics and your, and then there's going to be your lifestyle and possibly expect anyone's brain to function like any other or develop at the same speed, same rate, same time, any of that. Some are going to make huge leaps and some are going to go steady and some are, you know, it's just going to be all over the place and all different. It, to me, it's, it's just as ridiculous as saying like, you know, how tall that person should grow. That's like, completely ridiculous. Like we all know that that's insane. You know, we're going to stop this person growing at this height, or we're going to force this person to grow higher 
like that's we know that that's impossible and ridiculous and yet we're trying to do it with children's mental development but it's not any different so that part is totally ridiculous and then the part about trusting i mean i know that most people have been trained not to trust their own natural impulses we don't trust ourselves we don't trust life we don't trust each other um so of course it's going to be extremely difficult to let that go and to start trusting your child um and my mom likes to say that you know you can't allow your children to be free unless you free yourself and that it's really a, a journey of self-discovery and that you do have to do a lot of hard personal, emotional, psychological work to root out, you know, where these motivations and these beliefs and where they came from and just discover like what's true to you and what was adopted, what was taken on, what was instilled in you um, by others and by your environment and by society and what's actually true and natural for yourself. Um, that's like the real work of motherhood, according to my mom. It's like, you know, <laughs> well, I agree yeah. with that. I have done, um, so I've done several presentations this year and they've all been on um, trusting your children, but they all end up with trusting ourselves. Like, because, yeah. because it we can't, up. if we can't trust ourselves, then we can't understand how yeah. we can trust our children. It comes down to some other tricky subjects because, you know, trust and freedom. And I, I was just talking about this earlier, um, actually, where like, where does your freedom end and your child's freedom begin and how to respect your child's freedom without um, violating your own. And so that comes with the trust thing as well. And it's like, people go, oh, trust my child. And it's like, okay, so we're just gonna trust children. But what does that really mean? Because some people just take that as a blanket statement and they're like, oh, we're just gonna trust children, whatever. And then there's also the factor where you live in a household where there's multiple people and you have to learn how to function together as a community. And maybe you do have to have a lights out for everybody and you work that out together as a community, not one person being an authoritarian, you know? Um, and it was kind of like, well, we have young ones that need to go to bed and you guys can't, you know, we can't all be, and it would, we would we'd work it out together. And it was never like, a communist dictatorship it was a it was a more of a democratic finding those ways to navigate that together as a family um and that's totally fine and you might find you know it was like always allowing there to be room to evolve and to change and adapt and and experiment with everything because of the relationship that she established with me it was okay the times when and how she said no and it was because of the relationship she established. It was because of the trust and the respect that she built between us that had it be okay for her to step in sometimes and help us navigate challenging situations and possibly remove a negative influence from our lives. But it wasn't just like, it's my job to keep you safe and you can't do that. It wasn't like that. It was very much like, I see that this is really affecting you in a negative way. And like, she would help us to see that it was negatively affecting us. You know, I remember when I got into reading um, and from the time I was like 12 to 15, I was reading like six or eight hours a day. And I would just be like sitting on the couch like all day and my mom, and when I would stop and I'd come have dinner, I was very strange. Like, it's not, 
I was living in a fantasy world all day. I was not connected with my family. I wasn't based in reality. And my body was all twitchy from sitting in this weird position. And my, I remember a few conversations with my mom of her being like, I love that you're into this and you're enjoying this, but I've noticed the effect that it's having on you. Have you noticed like this is what's happening? And I would notice things and I would participate in the conversation. And then it would be like, what are we going to do? But how can I support you? You know, like I see that you're really irritable and uncomfortable after reading for a certain amount of hours. Like, would you like some help and support in that? You know, like, what can we do about it? How about if I tell you when it's been three hours and we can go outside for 10 minutes, I'll go for a walk with you, you know? And so it was never just this, like, this is wrong. I'm changing it for you. It was always this, like, you know, this cooperative communication um, kind of thing. I think and, people find it difficult to understand how um, how that's possible, how you can have um, a parent-child dynamic whereby when you have advice or input into something that you see happening with your child or something that's going on in their life, that it doesn't become um, invasive or intrusive or dictatorial, but that actually you can have a conversation like almost a pit like a peer-to-peer conversation with your Mm -hmm. own child and and thrash those things out together um like you were saying respectfully um but because of the work that you've put into the the connection and the relationship that you've got with um Mm -hmm. your child that has established and been built upon over over you know years um but that actually you're not you're not um you're not doing that you're not putting the effort into those relationships in order to have that influence over your your child in future years you know that's not that's not the purpose of it that's not yeah exactly it's not with an agenda to influence yeah literally my relationship with my mom like it wasn't that she established a particular kind of relationship so that it was very much about this is who we are right now. And it, and everything my mom did is, was, is about honoring who I am right now, not trying to get me somewhere or change me or fix me or improve me or so that I would be something someday or so that, so it was like always about letting things develop and unfold naturally and being curious together and not having this plan or this idea of how you think it should go. Um, but really being open and allowing things to grow and unfold. And your children can feel when you have that agenda coming at them. And if you're, if you're trying to establish a certain dynamic so that you can have a certain kind of influence and they will smell it on you and it will not be pretty. They will, they will fight against that in, in a numerous ways. To me, it's like, I'm always looking at any negative behavior to me is a cry for connection. It's always trying to repair the connection. Children are just constantly showing you wherever you're disconnected with yourself, with them, with what, with the present moment. That's what they're doing. They're just showing you where the disconnection is. And it's beautiful. You're getting an opportunity to see where your disconnection is and reconnect to what is, to your child, to yourself, to reality, is spend time every day with very conscious connection to your child. Um, you know, like when you wake up in the morning, instead of running off, like she was always running off. I was like, why don't you just take 20 minutes, lay in bed with your kid, like 
connect with them, look in their eyes, give them affection, like read a story, sing a song, like whatever it is, you know, try and give more of this positive connection. Even if you're connecting for a negative reason, you're still connecting and they will take any connection they can get. And if you're not giving it to them in a positive way, they will find a way to get it from you. And even if that means they're getting it in a negative way, it's still connection. It's still life giving and energy giving to them. It's their sustenance. And every child is going to be different and every parent is going to be different. So when people like, sometimes people come to me and they want this like formula of like how to, how to unschool, like, and I can't give you a step-by-step, like, this is how my mom did it. And this is how you handle every situation. You might handle the same situation differently, depending on the day, depending on the child, depending on your mood, depending on your, you know, like you just don't know. And what worked yesterday might not work today. So being like, it's to me, it's like all about just letting go of everything you think you know about parenting, about learning, about education, about child development, letting go of everything you think you know, and being an infant yourself, like being totally innocent and allowing curiosity and experimentation. That's what will guide you. And that's what will guide your child. It's just the, the, the connection, you know, the heart connection with your child. And you can tell when something's off and you can help try to correct it. You don't always have to have a conversation about sometimes it's you that needs to shift something in yourself and you'll watch your child transform without ever having to communicate anything to them. That happened between my mom and I a lot. It's happened just kind of like a, huh, that's interesting. Something's irritating me about this. What is it? And it's like, oh, I'm not totally allowing this or I'm not, you know, whatever it is. And I can be like, and let that go. I watched the behavior transform. Um, gonna, every child and parent relationship is going to have a different level and kind of connection and different amount of connect, different ways of connecting. Um, but I really feel like we can't talk about we can't talk about unschooling without talking about that because I feel like that all of that, what we just talked about is like helping maintain um, a human being's natural state of balance and well-being is what allows us to learn naturally according to our development. It's what allows us when we don't have, when we're healthy and in balance emotionally and psychologically, um, then we can, we can develop mentally in much broader and faster and more productive ways because we're not preoccupied with emotional lacking and psychological dissatisfaction, um, which can take a huge amount of energy and attention and can kind of, you know, like we were saying, like break, break up those natural learning pathways and, and, and have you unable to focus and, and, or find your passion or be interested in something. It's like, I know when I'm, um, so I feel like when you, when you provide that kind of groundwork for your children, then the learning will just, whoosh, you don't even have to worry about that. That's why I put all the focus on the psychological and emotional well-being of children and how to take care of that. And that's, what's going to have the biggest impact. So I don't like focusing on this. How did you learn how to read? How did you learn how to, it doesn't, that, that's not, let's take care of what's really important. And that stuff will, will work itself out. That's all on top of to me. And if you try and put all of that on top of a shaky um, foundation. If you don't have a solid foundation and it, it's not ever going to really be very strong or very stable. So 
that's why I like to go into that kind of stuff. Yeah, people always want to know about the learning. And, and like you say, like, I'm always trying to like, <laughs> actually, yeah. yeah, the learning's great. And I know that there's a lot of unpacking to do there from what you know about your own learning experience. But actually, the foundation, the thing that you really want to focus on is, is this over here, you want to focus on, you know, your child's mental health, your relationships, um, all those things that you were, you were just talking about I think what I'm going to do is wrap it up really nicely by saying yeah. that um it's it's actually um what time is it it's 10 to 10 to 10 in the evening here and so talking about um having some sort of limits and you know mutual agreement in our family is that uh, my younger two who are who are tired um but they um they go to bed at the same time as um as me actually my husband doesn't sleep that's another story but <laughs> they go to bed at the same time as me um which is kind of nearing now really this is when we sort of start winding down and we do that we do some of that um sort of quite intense connecting stuff actually in the evening because my husband's around as well um so we are going to that's what we're going to do now that's why we're going to head off and do that now so I'm going to read stories with you know snuggle up and read stories with one of them and my husband will snuggle up and read stories with the other um, before hopefully um yeah we do some other things as well um but like you say it's not a blueprint like not everyone's going to do stories before they go to bed you know that's what we do right. one right. of my one of my daughters um likes listening to um music as she goes to sleep and the other one likes listening to like um we've got like some children's meditations so she listens listens to those and and you can't blueprint that on somebody else's life that's just oh. that's just what we do and that's and that's how we do it um, and my, my and, and as I said, my my two younger ones, my daughters, they they go to bed now. My older ones are actually fourteen and twelve, um, and they're they're pretty self sufficient actually now. They 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 sort themselves out. So they they'll they'll go when when they're um, when they're ready. Um, but I thought that was quite a nice way of wrapping up that conversation. Actually, yeah. just um, I've loved spending um, this time um, chatting with you. Um, and it's been brilliant. So thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Sometimes it's, I mean, that's, you know, unschooler here. Favorite way to do things. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Summer. Thank you. Have Bye. a great day.